0: Hey everyone, welcome back to Here in Apologetics. Super pumped to join us today. to I have Dr. Ryan Mullins. We're going we'll to be talking about time and God and all these like big scary questions. And I'm glad we have Ryan on who can like shed some light on this. So Ryan, thank you. How are you?
1: I'm doing all right. Doing good?
0: Good, good. I'm super pumped for this. I was thinking as I was walking upstairs right before this is like, okay, well, like, I kind of know what God is. Um, I have an idea of like different like models of God. But then like with time, I just get like really confused and have no idea what's going on. So I'm super pumped for this to kind of shed and like try to think about what is time so yeah thanks for coming on I'm super pumped
1: good good I hope I can shed some light on these issues
0: yeah definitely so anything you want to say Ryan before we dive into it with regards like who you are and what you got to do and like why should anyone listen to like what Ryan Mullins has to say with regards to like God and the nature of time
1: yeah so I am currently a senior research fellow at the Collegium for Advanced Studies at the University of Helsinki and then soon I will be starting as a visiting professor in philosophy at two different universities, at the University of Lucerne in Switzerland, and then Palm Beach Atlantic in Florida. Um, my expertise are mainly is mainly on philosophical theology and philosophy of time. So I've published one book called The End of the Timeless God with Oxford University Press on this topic. And I'm currently writing a follow-up, which is tentatively titled From Divine Time Maker to Divine Watchmaker. I've published... I have about 50 articles now um, on lots of different topics in philosophical theology. Quite a few of them have been on the topic of God and time. So yeah, that's that's kind of why I'm, uh, I guess I'm, why I'm here and why I should be considered some sort of authority on these topics.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, right on. I'm super pumped. So let's just dive into it, Ryan. So when we're talking about like time, what is time?
1: Yeah. So most people, what they do is they start with this question and then they quote Saint Augustine. So Saint Augustine says, I know what time is unless you ask me. Mm -hmm. And you're like, well, okay. And then at that point, he's like, I don't know anymore. And then they just kind of move on from there. And I have found this infinitely frustrating because Mm -hmm. I want to know what time is if I'm going to talk about God's relationship to time. I can't just quote Augustine and move on. So there are two broad views that you see across um, the philosophical traditions in the East and the West. So like across the globe. And these can be called the relational theory of time and the absolute theory of time. And so the relational theory is usually the one that that is more popular. And it says that time isn't really a thing at all. It's just a relationship between events. Uh, Mm -hmm. So there are events can be ordered in like before and after earlier than later um, or simultaneous. And that's and time is just that relationship. That's it. So it's nothing. It's not a thing that exists. It's just a relationship between events. Mm -hmm. Uh, The most famous person you might have heard of that holds this view is someone like Leibniz. So Gottfried Leibniz holds this view. Now, the absolute theory, you see this in a lot of different thinkers, um, but just to stick with uh, the Leibniz case, uh, he debated someone named Samuel Clark. And Samuel Clark was a friend of Isaac Newton. And so Samuel Clark was defending Isaac Newton's view, which is this absolute theory of time. Uh, and so when you look at this absolute theory across, again, across like all, all these different thinkers in Western and Eastern thought, the idea is that time is actually the substance. It's an, it actually is a thing. Uh, it's this eternal substance. Uh, and it's responsible for different things. So time has different roles that it plays. Uh, and so the, the main ones that I usually identify are that time is the thing that makes change possible. Mm-hmm. It's the source of moments. And I'll explain that what a moment is in a second. Uh, And then it's the thing that orders a series of moments into some sort of like successive timeline. So let me say what a moment is, because it's very common for people who affirm the absolute theory to distinguish between time and moments of time. So a moment of time is the way things are, but could be subsequently otherwise. So right now there's a particular way things are. They could be different. They could be subsequently otherwise at the next moment. Uh, and so time is the thing that orders these moments into a successive series that we can call a timeline. Uh, I don't know. Did you have any follow up on that? To I don't know if that was sufficiently clear.
0: Yeah. No. I mean, I'm. I was just kind of like writing down as you we were going, but we have like mm-hmm. a relational theory where time is like the idea. It's like the relationship between like the events. Um, and mm-hmm. then you have the absolute theory where it's like this actual like concrete thing. So I guess just like what I'm thinking is like, do you have a view maybe that like you lean towards or do you think it's not really relevant to like your studies like what do you think with regards to like um like what is time
1: yeah so i'm leaning towards the absolute theory because i don't find the relational theory fully satisfactory because you a lot of times when you look at these debates over the relational theory they'll tell you that time is just this relationship between events and you're like okay cool tell me what an event is and they'll say Mm -hmm. an event is a substance having a property at a time and you're like, well, hang on. Uh, you're supposed to tell me like uh, like where time comes from, and it comes from just the relationship between events. And then when you mm-hmm. give the definition of event, time's already baked in. And you're like, it's not supposed to be baked in because it's supposed to be more fundamental than time. Because uh, when you're doing this relational theory, what you're trying to do is you're trying to reduce time to non-temporal things. And if mm-hmm. the events themselves are already temporal, they already have time built into them, then you haven't reduced time away to non-temporal things. Mm -hmm. so it gets it gets weird yeah
0: yeah so i was thinking like so we've like if we're trying to measure like what time is from relational theory and we have like one event and another event we're gonna ask like well, time is just like that relationship then you can kind of think about like well what is that relationship and like you're gonna have a problem with like trying to explain like what exactly is going on there because you're gonna have to have some sort of like deeper like almost like a concrete thing is kind of what you'd have to say like that is what's going on here it can't just be like just relationships
1: that's what some people want to say uh some others will just go well these temporal notions of before and after. And like right now, maybe those are just primitive notions. And so there's nothing further to analyze. Um, But that might give you a, it's kind of weird gerrymandered sort of uh, theory of time where time's just these relationships and these relationships are just brute and not further analyzable. Mm -hmm. Um, But it seems like, I don't know, like it it, it feels like you've not really reduced time away. It seems like you're starting to add in all these primitive things when you promise me to reduce time away to just mere relationships. Uh, So if you go to the absolute theory, uh, the absolute theory is like, yeah, I've got this thing that can explain all the stuff that you want, all the phenomena that you want. It's, it, it, it explains how change is possible. It explains the before and after between moments. Um, it's, it's, it can explain why there's a, a direction of time because it's this thing that's actually doing all of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I find that really attractive. Um, to, there's different flavors or varieties of this absolute theory, though, that you see throughout history. Uh, the one that I'm have been writing on a lot lately is where you identify time with God in some sense, and we can talk more about that later. Um, but I think these things are they are really relevant to my research to like answer your bigger question. Like they mm-hmm. do play a huge role in how you think about God's relationship to time.
0: Yeah. So you say then like time is like this actual thing that exists out there. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe in some set, maybe not like out there. Like it's just like hiding behind Jupiter or something. But like there actually like time actually exists um, in the world. It's not just like a, yeah. real, a linguistic concept.
1: Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I right want it on. to be this all pervasive thing. It's not, yeah, it's not, yeah, it's not, it's not just a linguistic uh, trick. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's great. Um. So obviously you talked about your book, End of the Timeless God, and there's two big views with regards to like God and like his nature of time. And one is that like God is timeless and one is temporal. So maybe Ryan, do you want to talk a little bit about like, what is the idea of like God being timeless and like, why would someone want to say that God is timeless?
1: Mm-hmm. So to say that God is timeless is to affirm that God's eternal and both views T- like if you say God's timeless or temporal, are going to say God's eternal. So let's start with that. So to be eternal is just simply to exist without beginning and without end. Mm-hmm. And then when you look at the history of Western philosophical theology, uh, things get divided from there. So people will, will often want to make additional claims. They'll say, well, maybe there's an, a timeless eternity, or maybe there's a temporal eternity. So the timeless eternity will say God exists without beginning, and without end. But God also exists without uh, succession. So God doesn't do one thing and then another. Uh, And God also exists without temporal location. So God does not exist right now, does not exist in the past, does not exist in the future, because he can't have any sort of like temporal relations or temporal locations. So without succession, without temporal location. So that's the idea of God being timeless. Timeless.
0: Do all those things like go together or could you have like maybe like some of it, like you could have like maybe God having like a temporal location, but still like having God, like having no like succession in like his acts and his things like that.
1: It'd be hard to figure out what it would mean to have temporal location without temporal succession. um, Mm -hmm. If you think that there's more than just one moment of time. So if there's just only one moment of time that exists, you'd be like, yeah, okay, God exists right now. He wouldn't be timeless because he exists now. uh, But he wouldn't have succession because there's only one moment that exists. And like, mm-hmm. and there's not any other series of moments that take place after that. I guess you could say that, but you wouldn't really have full timelessness. It would just be, it would just have just this kind of weird view. Um, you do get this claim though, f- throughout most of church history, which is God exists in this timeless present. So you can still talk about God's temporal location, uh, but you have to say it's a non-temporal location. You can There's a when God exists and that's this timeless present. That, ex- that has a, that has no before, no after, and no succession. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's not supposed to be a temporal location. So when you when you ask when does God exist, you say things like from all eternity, uh, or in this like eternal now, or this timeless now. So these are very standard kind of claims you'll see in Western uh, philosophical theology.
0: Mm, yeah. Right so like, what would you say then? Like, why would like timeless, Ryan, like what are some of like the major motivations for like affirming a timeless God?
1: Mm -hmm. So here's one. Um, So a big one is to say that timeless existence is a perfection. Uh, And so if God's really a perfect being, it's a pretty safe claim. Most people want to make that kind of claim. Uh, Then you better say that God's timeless, because that's part of what it means to be perfect. And so here's the underlying motivation. This is a very common argument you see uh, that dates back that actually predates Christianity. Uh, And so the claim starts like this. Uh, all change is for the better or worse, uh, and so if God were able to change, will He be either be getting better or worse? Well, if He's perfect, then you want to go: Is He re- is he really getting better? Like, how can a perfect being get better? Like, like yeah. you weren't perfect really if you could get better. You weren't that great to start with. Can He get worse? Well, you're not that great if you could get worse. So. A perfect being, like, we just can't change full stop. Like, can't get better, can't get worse. And all changes for the better or worse. So there's no way that God could change. And if God can't change, then God's not going to be undergoing succession. Uh, and so you're like, oh, okay, there we go. I've got something that looks like I'm in the n- neighborhood of timelessness now. Mm. Uh, and so, so that's, that's that's one very popular argument, one main motivation for this. That you see a lot uh, throughout uh, Western history.
0: Mm. Obviously, maybe I like like how would you respond to it, Ryan? Like, obviously, like spoiler, alert, like you don't believe that like God is timeless. <laughs> um, like, yeah. what do you what do you kind of think about like that kind of like argument? Um, yeah, because it's definitely important with like the timeless God and classical theism in yeah. general.
1: Yeah, so there's two main premises that like, get the whole thing motivated. One is God's perfect, and the second one is all changes for the better or worse. I could say like maybe God's not perfect. I don't want to do that because that, that that seems crazy to me. Um, mm-hmm. so I want to reject that second premise and go not all changes for the better or worse. And all you have to do is, since it's this all-inclusive claim, you just have to give one counterexample where, where mm-hmm. change is not for the better or worse, just some value-neutral change. And there's lots of examples you can give. Uh, so here's one. So imagine that, that all that exists in the world are just uh, two electrons just spinning in the void. That's it. Mm-hmm. Just two electrons spinning in the void. And so at one moment, um, this electron over here is like doing whatever, and this other one over here is like doing this and this. At the next moment, they switch places. And so they've changed their location to one another. Um, they've changed their, you know, maybe it's like the, some of their, like the way they spun around a little bit. So there's lots of, they underwent some kind of changes.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And do you really want to say that's better or worse? Because that's like a really boring kind of change. Like it, nothing seems better to me about like an electron just moving its location in space mm-hmm. and nothing seems worse either. It's just like, it's just different. Mm-hmm. And, and if, that, if that's the case, if it's just, it's just different, it's not really in, better or worse. Then it's false that all changes for the better, better or worse.
0: Yeah, I like that because you're thinking about like maybe like these aren't like like really super like cool electrons, or there might be something happening, but like they're like really boring, like dull, like normal electrons. Like to change, like I was thinking on like there's really nothing there. Like what you can't really say it's better or worse if you have two two dull electrons and one changes place with the other. Like I I totally I think I agree with you. I don't I don't see how it's going to be changed for the better or worse.
1: So, um. yeah. And so with that example, that's why I try to make it as boring as possible because like, there's just, it's just like, there's nothing exciting happening. Like there's nothing you can really grasp to get any sort of kind of value claim, but that's all mm-hmm. you need in order to show that all change is for the better or worse. And you're like, well, no, it's false. Cause here's a counter example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, here's a theological one you see. So William Hasker gives this one. Um, so he says, it's, it's a good thing to be able to know what time it is now. Uh, if you don't know what time it is now, if like you don't have the ability to track those changes in the world about what time it is now, mm-hmm. then you're deficient in some kind of way.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, so if God's not able to have his knowledge track the changes in reality, then God's knowledge is deficient. Um, so it's just false that all changes for the better or worse, because in this case, like it's a good thing that God is able to just simply just change full stop. It's not that he gets better when he changes. It's just that part of what it means to be a, a perfect knower entails that you have to have the ability to change in mm-hmm. these kind of ways. Um so you, you see these kind of theological arguments a lot in the especially in the 90s and early 2000s you would see these a lot uh, to just try to go certain things about the nature of god to entail that god has to change. So it just can't be true that all changes for the better or worse because what a perfect being knows and what a perfect being does entails change.
0: Hm. That's super helpful. So we talked about the idea like of like God being timeless, there's no succession within God. He's not like doing different things at different times. Um, what's the view then that like saying like, God is temporal? Like, what would God's relationship be like to time then if we say that God is temporal?
1: Mm-hmm. So again, going back to that early, earlier claim that I made that uh, everyone wants to agree God's eternal. So the temporal view is going to say God exists without beginning and without end because he's eternal. He's an eternal being, mm-hmm. but they're going to say God can exist with succession. God can do one thing and then another, and God can have temporal location. So you don't have to talk about like, if, if, so if you say, when does God exist? You don't have to say things like from all eternity or like a timeless now or something like that. You can say God exists right now, full stop. Mm. Yeah. And so when you're on ch- in church on Sunday and you're praying, uh, you know, and you, you might ask like, God, where are you right now? And you can be like, I'm here right now. Whereas mm-hmm. if God's timeless, he can't say I'm, I exist right now. Like, so the temporal yeah. views like, yeah, God exists right now. There we go. And he used to exist. He was existed in the past. He will exist in the future. He is uh, He's the one who was, is, and is to come. You know, all those fun things you want to say from the book of Revelation. Like, that's just, those are all literally true about mm-hmm. a temporal God.
0: That's one of the things for me, like, when I think about, like, just classical theism in general, is it seems it's, like it's hard, like, um, before I ever took any learned anything about philosophy, like, I'd never be a classical theist. Um, like, I would never have been that, like, just, like, intuitively, like, something more like a like a more like a neoclassical version of God would be something I always thought of. And maybe that's just like my biases and presuppositions growing up But sure. like the classical theistic God. um, Where like you said, like like the classical theist can't really say that like God is there right now um, in this moment. Like he doesn't really exist with you in this moment. And that's something that I feel like most Christians, like if you ask them on the street before they study any <laughs> philosophy, like they're going to say, yeah, God's here right now. Like um and that seems to be true. I think would be true regardless of denomination as well. Um that's, I think that's something that's helpful to think about is like classical theism. It seems like it goes against a lot of like our, basic intuitions we have about God this is the way it seems at least.
1: It does. Uh, and I actually have a paper that I co-authored with um, Larry Launon in, in Helsinki. So Larry is a, he does a lot of work on cognitive science of religion. That's his area of expertise. And so what we looked at is what is the most intuitive belief uh, is classical theism more intuitive than we looked at open theism because we, when we tried to do all the models of God, the paper got way too long. So we had to start cutting mm-hmm. stuff. So yeah. we just put it uh, as uh, classical versus open theism. And temporality was one of the big issues that when you, when you do a lot of cognitive scientists, when they start asking what's more intuitive, what's the more intuitive view, the divine temporality is the most intuitive view. Uh, Timelessness Mm -hmm. is just very counterintuitive. It goes against everything that, uh, that we, we think, and that we, the way we speak, the way we uh, base a lot of our practices on. So yeah, it's, 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 it's very counterintuitive.
0: So we talked about this idea of like intuition, like what else Ryan pushes you to like hold to a view, like where God is temporal instead of like believing that like God is timeless.
1: So one of the big aspects of my work is trying to look through various aspects of Christian doctrine and just go, okay, what happens if God is timeless? Can we make all these different claims? Can we make claims about God creating the universe out of nothing? Can we make claims about God being omnipresent, being omniscient, being incarnate, answering prayers, providentially guiding things? Uh, And so when you start looking at all of these doctrines, you kind of start lining them up and then look at how do they fit with timelessness in each one of these cases, I want to go, you don't get timelessness. So you're going to have some conflict somewhere uh, within Christian thought. So if you look at the entirety of Christian belief, it's really difficult, I think, to put timelessness in there, even though historically Mm. that has been the dominant view, but I can can pinpoint in most cases where you see a conflict arise and we're historically theologians noticed problems and try to solve them, but I just don't think they successfully solved them because I think it is so counterintuitive and it goes against just everything you want to say.
0: Maybe mm-hmm. well, you want to talk about like an example, then maybe like like the incarnation or like God created the universe out of nothing. Where do you think there's an example of like a Christian doctrine that you want to hold to is like Christians um, that kind of conflicts with the idea of divine timelessness.
1: So remember again, without succession and without temporal location, that's what it means to be timeless. Uh, and so, a very easy case is to look at the creeds. And so, the creeds want to say um, bef- there was like there's this before where God the Son was not incarnate, and then mm-hmm. God the Son became incarnate and became. It's right there in the creed, and became. That's a that's a very temporal notion. Um, mm-hmm. He's he doesn't he's not he's not uh, you know related to any sort of uh, human nature at all. And then around three four BC, he becomes related to. A human nature in such a way that he is born, he lives, he dies. He actually has temporal location, has very clear succession. And I'm like, how do you, I don't know how you're supposed to make sense of that and say the God of mm-hmm. the Son he's he really is timeless. And you're like, okay, okay, sure, but he wasn't related to a human nature, and then he becomes related to a human nature. That's a clear change. That's a clear succession. Yeah, least it's in interesting
0: because I didn't think i actually realized like the text of the creed um like if it says like god became man or he becomes incarnate and the person um the son becomes the person of jesus um what well, seems like that's going to go in like conflict with the idea that like god can't become anything under classical theism like he's not going from one thing to the next um so it seems mm-hmm. like yeah like there's just a straightforward contradiction so is there like how would they because obviously there's classical thesis and they try to get around it how mm-hmm. would they respond to something like that
1: so the the main move they try to make with the incarnation is to say uh the divine nature doesn't change. The hu- only the human nature undergoes change. Um, mm-hmm. But you still have the case that the divine person, the sun, is supposed to have the properties from both of these natures. Uh, and the mystery is in trying to figure out how that works. So how does this one person, this timeless person, really have a nature uh, that doesn't change, um, then also has this other second nature, this human nature that does change? Uh, while at the same time this person does in fact have the property of being temporal and the property of being timeless. And mm-hmm. it seems like you've got a contradiction. The way it gets developed is it looks like this. So they'll say there are, in uh, when you look at uh, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is composed. They use composed in this really loose kind of way. They don't really mean strict composition, um, but they'll say he's composed of God the Son. So you got one mind, God the Son, with his own will. And then you've got this human nature, which is a rational soul that does have its own unique will, its own unique first person perspective and a unique will. And then you have uh, a human body. So you've got two minds, two wills, and a human body going on here in in Jesus Mm -hmm. Christ. And it's supposed to be one person. Now the divine mind, and yeah, I know, I know. Uh, And it gets weirder too when they say that in the Trinity, there's one mind and one will, uh, and there's three persons. And you're like, okay, okay. Um, But we'll ignore the Trinity. Yeah, it's a mess. It's a bit of a mess, but we'll ignore the Trinity for now um, as much as we can. So the, the claim is the divine mind and the divine will do not change at all and do not undergo succession and do not have temporal location. Whereas the the human soul and the human body, that's the thing that is changing, undergoing succession, suffering on a cross, uh, all that kind of stuff. Um mm-hmm. and, and it's and so the way Gregory of Nyssa puts it is this rational soul, this human rational soul, serves as a wall to protect the sun from the grossness of human flesh. So it's somehow the soul is supposed to protect uh the divine nature and and the sun from like suffering in the in the ways that would entail that he's passable and he's mutable and he's temporal.
0: Mm-hmm. It's tricky for me. Like I was just thinking about like all right. So if we're going to say like the sun doesn't change at all. Um, well, then how is like, what's so special about Jesus? Um, Cause we think about like, like, how do we get like a divine like sun that's totally impassable. Um, sorry, we're getting a lot more than time here. Just, like, I was thinking right. about it. I'm just like, I was like, how, how on earth are you going to get like a being like Jesus that you read in the new Testament from just like a totally like timeless um, impassable God. It seems like if he doesn't change at all, like how are we going to get to this point where we have like um, a divine Jesus, who's going to like die for our sins and things like that. And I just, I don't know. It's one of the things I struggle with when I think about like classical theism and and
1: such. I don't, I don't know how to make sense of it anymore, um, but I'll do the best I can here at the moment. And the main claim is they'll say like all those claims about in the new Testament, they're true um, because Jesus really does have this fully human nature that does live, that does grow, that does die, that does suffer, that is raised and raised again. And that's all true in virtue of the human nature. So the Mm -hmm. son really does have those experiences just in virtue of the human nature. So that's, that's the, the main claim with that you'll see within the classical tradition. Mm-hmm. I just don't know how you can really say there's one person when you have two different minds, each with their own first-person perspectives that undergo uh, radically different experiences. That one is in a state of pure, undisturbed bliss and no succession whatsoever and no temporal location, whereas the other mind is undergoing pain, suffering, uh, temptations, succession, temporal location, and go that's supposed to be one person i don't see i don't see how that i don't see how mm-hmm. you can make that one person um and that's so I, I just i just refuse to acknowledge that that could really could be one person because you have two mm-hmm. different first person perspectives with radically different beliefs radically different experiences
0: yeah that's really tricky um maybe yeah. it's a little bit beyond like what we're doing today but i think that's sure. something like helpful to think about is like well because mm-hmm. with classical theism and like timelessness like a lot of these things are going to go together Yeah, Um, which is something that I've learned like with like timelessness and impassibility and immutability and simplicity like these things are going to all fold together. So, yeah, I think that's helpful. So thanks for um, that. So then maybe like the next part of like what we're talking about as we talked about, like God being timeless and God being temporal. Um, But like with time and the nature of time, like there's two like big theories. There's the A theory and B theory of time. So when we're thinking about like God and the nature of time, maybe first like flesh out what are these theories? And then we could talk about like, is it relevant in thinking about like God and like how he's going to be related to time?
1: Yeah. So the A theory and B theory. uh, So these go back to this guy named uh, McTaggart in the early 1900s. And he was trying to talk about different series of times, like different ways you order a series of moments. And so the A series uh, is a way of ordering moments in terms of uh, past, present and future. And that eventually becomes the A theory, which is to say, um, when we're trying to give the story of the world, when we try to describe all of temporal reality... You need to be able to talk about events having properties of having existed in the past, existing right now, or uh, what will be the case in the future. Mm-hmm. You cannot give a full description of reality without talking in those tensed terms of past, present, and future. Now, the B theory does a bit things a bit different. So, the B series is a temporal ordering of moments in terms of earlier, later, and simultaneous. And the B theory says, if you want to give a full description of the world, you need to re- like the, the really, like, the only, like, propositions that actually describe reality are these tenseless propositions, which describe things just in terms of specific dates uh, that are, could be ordered in earlier, later, or simultaneous. You don't talk about now. You don't talk about past. You don't talk about future. That's not, you don't really need those things to describe the world. That's the claim. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, those are true. the two theories. So we have these two big mm-hmm.
0: theories, A theory and B theory. One thing I've heard a lot is just like, um, relativity, just like totally like debunks A theory and like, you're crazy if you hold A theory anymore. Um, so like, what would you say to that? Um, like, is that true? Like how would you kind of respond to that?
1: Yeah. So several things. Um, one is that special theory relativity strictly speaking is false. It gives us false predictions. Um, and that's, that's fine. Uh, Cause it doesn't claim to be the fundamental theory of physics anyway, because mm-hmm. the fundamental theory of physics is, well, you might think it's the general theory, but that conflicts with quantum mechanics, uh, and and the quantum mechanics conflicts with the general theory, and so we're like, oh, I don't know. Um, so the special theory, it, within itself, the way that it was developed by Einstein and then ultimately by Minkowski, you cannot find the present on the on this mm-hmm. on this view. Yeah. But there are a bunch of interpretations where you can, um, and like the neo-Lorentzian ones, those are the ones that get talked about the most because William Lane Craig did a good job at popularizing those. Uh, a lot of physicists don't like those, um, but it doesn't matter because Brian Pitts, uh, who's a philosopher of physics, he's pointed this out for a, quite a long time now, saying that since the early 2000s, there was this, um, I think it's a Polish uh, physicist named Horshava. Um, Horshava figured out all the math that we need to find the present within the special theory. And, and it doesn't rely on all this kind of weird stuff you have to do with like Neo- Neo-Lorentzian interpretations. Uh, and the Horshava interpretation is just, is like cited quite a lot and it's used quite a lot in contemporary physics. So Mm. it seems like it's widely accepted and there's an easy way to find the present on this, on this interpretation of it, of special theory. So, so you could, so there's a couple of ways you could go. One way you could go, it's a false theory. I don't care. Um, so who cares if it, if it's inconsistent with a theory, another approach to go is it's not inconsistent with a theory because we have a particular mathematical model that is consistent with the a theory and is widely used philosophers of time don't talk about it because they're not aware of like anything that's happened in contemporary physics since the 1930s but you know who cares um here's another thing you can say though the special theory doesn't cause problems just for the a theory it causes problems for the b theory too because Mm -hmm. the b theory has things in terms of earlier later and simultaneous with and if the special theory of relativity, if you interpret it as there is no absolute simultaneity, then I don't know how you're going to get your B-series up and running, because mm-hmm. in, if you want to talk about simultaneous relations, but there's no absolute simultaneity, if you want to talk about things being earlier and later, you need some simultaneity to talk about. Well, this event is happening here, and this, this other event's earlier than that and later than that. And be like, that's eh, it's all relative. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that does not support the B-theory. And and some philosophers of time are finally starting to admit that it's becoming a bit more popular to to admit that, oh, actually, this doesn't fit with the B theory either.
0: That's it's interesting. I didn't realize that. Um, just going back to the second point, there's a lot there, but like I didn't realize there was this Polish dude that like kind of showed like the whole like because you still hear it all the time, like, um, Mm -hmm. like special relativity, like he's the end of um, eighth year of time, but this Polish guy, uh, don't even want to try to pronounce his name, but like he figured yeah. it out. And like, there's like, yeah. like you still have a simultaneous, like on an a theory. Um, it seems like, and like, that's just kind of like established science. We just like, don't really realize that it's just not very popularized. Is that kind of what's going on here? I
1: don't, I don't know if you could say established because, um, a lot of physicists take an instrumentalist approach to, uh, most of their theories, a lot of their theories. So mm-hmm. the idea of space time, a lot of people will say it's a useful fiction. Uh, notice the fiction part. Uh, A bunch of others will say it's no longer even a useful fiction. We need a new uh, mathematical model because this one's not really giving us good predictions. We need something Mm -hmm. that can actually maybe fit with gravity, uh, maybe give us better predictions that are consistent with quantum mechanics. We can find the present in quantum mechanics. So maybe having some kind of mathematics within relativity theory that can help us do that. That'd be cool. So Mm -hmm. I don't know if I could say established, um, but it's widely used. I can say that much. And whether or yeah. not you want to be a realist about it or an instrumentalist, like an anti-realist about it, mm-hmm. yeah, that varies from physicist to physicist.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, so maybe then, like, for the sake of, like, the conversation today, Ryan, like, mm-hmm. what, like, how is it going to be relevant in, like, thinking about, like, God and the nature of time and, like, what we're going to be talking about upcoming here? Like, what's relevant in thinking about A theory and B theory as we progress forward?
1: Mm-hmm. So the ontology of time that's supposed to follow from the A theory and B theory, this is usually where a lot of the action happens in philosophy of time in in, in, in in talking about God's relationship to time. Uh, so the A theory, any, there's a lot of ontologies of time that you could have, but the main feature of the A theory is that there's some sort of privileged status given to the present moment. Mm-hmm. So let me give you some examples of ontologies of time. So when we're asking, uh, about the ontology of time we're asking the question, what moments of time exist? So Mm. the presentist, that's the most like common view. It just says the present moment. That's the only moment that exists right now. That's it. Past moments, they no longer exist. Future moments do not yet exist. But there's other A theories you could have. Uh, So another one is called the growing block. Uh, So the growing block says that past moments exist and the present moment exists, but future moments do not yet exist. So there's still some mm-hmm. kind of special privilege status to the present moment because it's like at the leading edge of the block. Uh, but those past moments, they continue to exist. And uh, the block is yeah. just constantly being added to as new, present, new moments get added. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then another popular one is what's called the um, moving spotlight. Well, I don't know if I can say it's popular. Uh, it, hardly anybody likes it. Um, but the moving spotlight is that past, present, and future moments all equally exist and then there is this like weird special like spotlight that just points out this moment's the present and it just kind of moves along the block of time uh, in some kind of mystical way and there's this thing called the new moving spotlight which completely throws that picture out, out the window i won't talk about that because that one's even weirder um and, and it's a bit more difficult to just des- to, ex- to describe but those are the main kind of a theories you get Uh, Mm -hmm. There's a few others, like what's called fragmentalism, um, that's really consistent with uh, a standard interpretation of special relativity. Um, But again, that's also super weird, so we won't worry about that one. Uh, Now, the B-theory, the main one that people affirm typically is eternalism, which in one sense you could say it's the past, present, future. All those moments equally exist. But since it's a B-theory, there really is no such thing as past present and future there's just events ordered in simultaneous earlier and later relations so there's no Mm -hmm. like objective special present you could also be a presentist and hold this kind of view um or growing blocker and hold like tenseless theories but that gets complicated so we won't worry about that so we'll just look at those are the main things that kind of come up is in these debates is usually it's just presentism versus eternalism but there's these other ontologies at play
0: Mm, right on. So do you have a view that like you lean towards then Ryan or thinking about like a theory and B theory and maybe like, a, do you have like a subview within those views? If, if not, obviously like I'll still forgive yeah, you. That's okay. You're,
1: you're okay. Yeah. But what do you yeah, think? Yeah. Uh, so presentism is the main one I want to go with. Um, and some, I used to kind of think maybe I would go with presentism and what's called an air B theory where you have this like tenseless account of time. Um, and there's this funny stuff you do with like the relationship between truth and reality And now I just think that's, that's just like, that's just a headache. I don't want to bother with that. I want an easy life. Um, Mm -hmm. So the easiest thing to do is to just go with presentism and just have a standard, like kind of a theory uh, and do some other different things with um, the relationship between truth and reality uh, that I don't, don't require me to talk as if I'm a B theorist or something like that. So just Mm -hmm. a theory and then presentism. I think that's the best way to go.
0: Okay. Yeah, that's great. So we talked about um, like a temporal God and like holding the A-theories kind of the views you go to. Then with the relationship between like God and time, like going even further, um, there's two views you talked about. And I believe it was a paper in like Philosophica Christi, maybe um, somewhere mm-hmm. like that. You talked about like the creationist view and the identification view. Um, these are ideas like God and time. So and like, what exactly God's doing with time? It gets true. This is where I get really confused. Um, yeah. But like, what is the creationist view of God and time? And then obviously like this view falls short in your mind. So why do you think it falls short?
1: Yeah, so the creationist view is the claim that God creates time. Uh, so in this way, you would say God is a time maker. He is the maker of time. And you see this in a lot of different people. You see this in St. Augustine. You see this in Al-Ghazali, Moses, Maimonides. Uh, so a lot of different people throughout Western uh, history will make this kind of claim that God creates mm-hmm. time. Uh, and then William Lane Craig seems to affirm this view as well. So here's a contemporary person who seems to affirm this view. Uh, so the idea here is that um, time is, you usually affirm a relational theory of time. So time exists if and only if there's change. And if God's going to create time, what he needs is he needs to create things that can undergo change and then establish these earlier and later or before and after relationships. So Augustine is a great example of this. So he'll say God creates time with the universe. So when God creates the universe, he creates things that can undergo change and create these before and after relationships. And so that's all he's got to do in order to create time is just create something that can undergo a bunch of changes. Mm. The worries I have about it are mainly my worries related to the relational theory, uh, which is it's oftentimes it's difficult to figure out what the claims really are. So you've got again, that worry I I noted earlier about if time is a a relationship between events, tell me what an event is. And if they say, well, an event is a substance having a property at a time, then I'm like, well, you baked time in to the, the explanation it's supposed to tell me where time comes from and you can't do that by sneaking in time in the back door. The other kind of problems that come up here with this sort of view um, is usually related to the, the doctrine of creation out of nothing. So you could reject the doctrine of creation out of nothing. There's a bunch of people who do that mm-hmm. and still want to affirm this uh, that God creates time in some sense. Um, but we'll focus just on the people who affirm the doctrine of creation out of nothing so the doctrine of creation out of nothing says that there's some prior state of affairs where God exists all alone. Uh, And, and like prior to Christianity, there's this big debate that like kind of pops up of if the creator exists all alone and then the universe comes into being after a state of non-existence, then God's going to be changing Mm -hmm. um, because God's going to have a not doing anything state where he's all alone. And then the universe comes into being. And so it seems like, well, he's doing something now. So he's going to be changing in some kind of way. And that predates Christianity. And then when Christianity, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, they start developing the doctrine of creation out of nothing. It falls right into this debate. And so now they got to take a stand. Uh, And so what you have with St. Augustine, St. Augustine takes a stand and he goes, yeah, there's a sense in which God's not doing anything before creation. Um, And you're like, okay, cool. Well, now it looks like God's changing. Um, So he's all alone before the universe exists, and then he comes to exist with the universe, and so it looks like Andrew is a change. So it's one problem. Um, but here's another problem. It it seems like this before state of affairs, uh, where God exists all alone. It, it seems like that's a, like that's a before, and if it's a really a before, that's time, because um, mm-hmm. like what and so what you have to do is you have to come up with a it's a non temporal before, and this is a major. Prolegomena throughout Western philosophical theology is trying to figure out a way to talk coherently about this prior state of affairs where God exists all alone, and and explain it in a way where it's not really a t- uh, temporal before. If you want to affirm that God's timeless,
0: mm.
1: and well, even want, Greg has this problem too. So yeah, so go yeah,
0: ahead. I'm, no, I'm just trying to think about it as well because I was just like drawing. Here on my notes, and it's, it's, I, drew God, and I drew an arrow. Um, couldn't you say like, well, there's just God, like He just exists, and there's no change within God before. I don't know. It sounds just like Craig. Like, couldn't you just say something like, what well, God just exists. There's no change there. He creates the universe. Maybe then He's going to start changing a little bit and interacting with the world. But then, like, what's the problem there? It's just saying like God exists, just without any change. That's it.
1: Yeah. So it wouldn't be. I, I think the problem is is in trying to figure out these two phases of God's life. Mm-hmm. so if, so, let's go with the William Lane Craig card because um, that seems in one sense a little bit easier to grasp than God being just timeless through and through um, yeah. so you, you have God is timeless sans creation well, so without creation this is, this mm-hmm. is the way to, uh, William Lane Craig talks so God is timeless without the universe and temporal with the universe and you're like cool okay. okay now what everyone wants to know what everybody's been pushing Craig on for years is to go tell us how these two phases are related because if it's a before and after relation that's a temporal relation, and you can't say yeah. God was timeless before, um, because then you're like, that's a that that that's a, a timeless being cannot stand in temporal relations. So, before mm-hmm. is a temporal relation. So, that's not going to work.
0: Yeah. And
1: Craig and Craig knows that. So that's why Craig's like, well, it's timeless sons, timeless sons. And like, okay, so it's not temporal before. What else could it be? Well, you could say it's a causal before. this is difficult because it's very standard, very intuitive again, throughout not just Western history, but Eastern history too, to say causes are temporally prior to their effects. Uh, So if you've got a case of efficient causation, you're going to have a temporal before and temporal after. And a lot of people actually, what they want to do when they're talking about the arrow of time or the direction of time, they'll build it off of the fact that uh, causes are temporally prior to their effects. Mm -hmm. Um, So if Craig just says it's causally before, and, and it's by this non-temporal kind of way, then it's like, I don't know what kind of causation you're talking about. I lose my grasp yeah. there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the final way you could go is to say it's a logical priority. And you see this kind of kind of stuff um, in the late scholastic era because John Scotus develops this idea of uh, what he calls logical instance or instance of nature, these logical moments. Um, and so you could say there's a logical moment before it's logically prior to uh, creation. So God exists Logically prior to creation. Here's the problem with this view, and this is something that Alan Rota, um, who's an open theist, he's he's pointed out. When you're talking about logical priority, uh, logical priority applies to things that are uh, compossibly realized, um, that are consistent states of affairs. So think of two plus two equals four. Well, those are that's just one like state of affairs. Two plus two equals four, and you could talk about two and two being logically prior to the four, Mm -hmm. but it's all like a consistent state of affairs. Uh, same thing with um, like any like valid argument you want to give. If P then Q, P therefore Q, you could talk about all those things being logically prior to the conclusion of the argument. But those are all consistent with like being like a, a consistent state of affairs, being mutually realized. Well, if God is only logically prior to the universe, if that's the claim, uh, well then it's not really the case that God exists all alone without creation because mere logical priority does not capture that because what it, because it has to be consistent states, a mutually consistent state of affairs in Mm -hmm. order to be merely logically prior, but existing without a universe and existing with a universe that cannot be mutually realized. Those are two contradictory states of affairs. Um, So that can't be mere logical priority. Mere logical priority does not capture that. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if i explained that well because this one's really technical it's a bit hard for me to to explain this in yeah. a, a popular way yeah no i
0: think you did it like as great as you can i think what is helping me think about it is this idea like you can't just say like um like if god exists like before um without anything and he creates it and there's something um like before he's timeless after he's temporal like there's still the, the before and after they're still there and we got to figure it out um what exactly that means and that's why you yeah. can't just have like a really simple answer to um yeah. this question so yeah i think yeah. it's great yeah so do you want to see anything else with regards to like problems with like the creationist view of time or are you ready to dive into the identification view um
1: yeah let's dive into the in- identification view because this view is weirder uh, and i find it interesting and i, and I quite okay. like it so yeah let's do that let's
0: do it so what is the identification so- view of time then ryan
1: yeah yeah so um so earlier when we were talking about time this absolute theory of time so we had this claim that time is this like eternal uncaused substance that's uh, the thing that makes change possible It's uh, responsible for the existence of moments. And it's the thing that like orders a series of moments into sort of some kind of like successive timeline of something of the sort like that. Uh, So you might have some worries here. Um, So when you look at when I'm looking at like different uh, philosophers across all the world's religions who affirm this view, some of them want to say you've got God is this one eternal uncaused substance. And you've got time is this separate eternal uncaused substance. And you might go, okay, what's the big deal? Who cares? Uh, and there's a bunch of Hindu philosophers and some Islamic philosophers who go, yeah, no big deal. Who cares? But if you think part of the idea of God is that God is like really ultimate in reality, that that God is supposed to be um, like single-handedly responsible for the existence of everything other than himself, pretty common kind of claim.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Then if God cannot be responsible for the existence of everything else, if there's this other separate eternal uncaused substance just floating around uh, so so you, you can't say god is the cause of everything else other than himself and there's this other thing that's also this uncaused substance that exists because right? god can't mm-hmm. cause it to exist because it's uncaused it's part of the nature of it so god's not the creator of all he's not the single like ultimate thing in reality yeah so yeah that might be a problem if if, if you think god is supposed to be like the creator of all things and is the single ultimate foundation of reality so there's mm-hmm. a problem there yeah yeah. Here's a way out of the problem. Uh, so I don't know if Isaac Newton and Samuel mm-hmm. Clark saw this as a problem, um, because they just did identify time as an attribute of God. Um, but somebody in the Hindu tradition named, uh, Raghunada Sharomani, uh, he did see this kind of problem. Uh, cause he was like, there's all these like, all these like uncaused substances floating around, not just time, but also space and the ether and sound and all this kind of stuff. And he's like, this is a bloated ontology if we really want to say God's the ultimate foundation of reality, this doesn't make any sense. So here's what we do. Uh, we eliminate all these other things and say God plays that role. Uh, uh, so God is the, the, mm. the eternal uncaused substance that is the thing that makes change possible, is the source of moments, and is the thing that orders the series of moments into a successive timeline. So God is time. We identify time with God in some sense. Mm. Um, that's, that's the big claim. And there's different people with different models of God that do this. I found some classical theists who do this. I found neoclassical theists and some panentheists who do this. I don't know of any open theist who's done this, but I've had some open theists message me and say they really like this view uh, after I published on it. Um, So we'll have to see how that goes, though, in in those kind of terms. But that's the big idea, at least for what the identification view is saying and some motivations for the view, at least
0: so think about like, if like i was going on a run this morning and i was jogging and i was measuring my time and complaining about my mile time like, like this sucks i'm out of shape um like but in some sense like that time that i'm measuring between like um when i first started running um to like i finished that first mile and like the, in some sense i'm like measuring like god like what what exactly is going on here with like mm. that measurement um like is that god like what, what's going on here i'm trying to understand that
1: yes so this is a really good question um so you're not measuring God, uh, what you're doing is you're measuring the moments of time. Um, because mm-hmm. I think the conditions you need in order to develop a clock and the things that you're measuring, you're measuring events that exist, uh, throughout a series of successive moments. So on the absolute theory of time, there's a distinction between time and moments of time. So what you're talking about is, uh, is the moments of time, like the, the timeline itself, the series of moments. Uh, mm-hmm. and so you need a series of moments so you can talk about before and after, uh, and a series of moments. So you can like, say like this event of me running that starts at this moment and it ends at this other moment and all the mm-hmm. moments in between. Now you can start establishing, um, uh, these measurement systems to it. Uh, so yeah, so your measurements are of the timeline the, or the, the, series of moments. It's not of like time mm-hmm. itself. Exactly.
0: Okay. So it's measuring some moments within this like absolute, like, um, timeline that like is in some sense like an attribute of God. Um, how's this, how's this connected to God?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So what what God is doing is God is, is establishing the series of moments and then keeping things in existence, uh, sustaining things in existence that bring about the next moment and the next moment and the next moment. Mm -hmm. Uh, so that's, that's what time is supposed to be doing. And if you say, if you want to identify time with God, they say, God's doing all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so the measurement systems, they apply to the timeline, but you can also say they apply to God in this sense. Um, The universe is about 13 and a half billion years old. So how long has God existed with the universe? 13 and a half billion years. Um, So on this view, God is not creating time, uh, but God is creating a clock. So when God creates a universe, he is creating the conditions by which you can now start measuring things because he's creating a series of moments. He's also creating um, things that can undergo a constant tick, which is what you need uh, in order to establish a clock. Uh, Some kind of uniform laws of nature, um, so you can have like some fixed points by which you can, uh, and some fixed things that are constantly changing in the right kind of way to establish and develop a clock. Mm-hmm. So you could say God exists for such and such amount of time with the universe. Um, and so then that since the measurements apply to God, but it's not like you're measuring God himself, you're measuring like the life of God since creating the universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. you could say those kind of things. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I'm thinking of this because I'm help like just trying to like flush this all out and thinking about like just like way back to the beginning where we talked about like the relational view and like the absolute view of time. So like these relations like that that isn't like that that's not just. Oh, sorry, I just forgot how to speak English for a second. Sorry, um, but like um like th- these moments like the relations that's not time. Um, but those relations help those relationships help you to like understand like what time is. Is that kind of like like the view here it helps you to understand like this absolute like time block um, that's in some sense like an ad- part of God.
1: Yeah. So on, on this view, it's these relationships, uh, time is establishing those relationships. Like that's part of the Mm -hmm. role of time is to establish those relationships of before and after and to establish like what exists at the present. Uh, and so this is something you see more developed more in more detail in some different, uh, Indian philosophers within the Hindu traditions is that that's what's what time is doing is establishing those relationships. Mm -hmm. Um, so those relationships are important temporal notions and time is responsible for all of those temporal notions.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Did I cut you off? Anything else? You want no, to
1: no, say? no, that's, that, that was all okay. I was going to say on that point.
0: Yeah, that's great. So anything else you want to say, Ryan, if regards to like, um, like why should someone like want to hold to like an identification view of time? Um, yeah.
1: Uh, so I guess if you're dissatisfied with some of the different problems that, are, that come up with the creation view, and we only talked about a few of them, there's a lot, a lot more you could, you could uh, discuss, then I think the the absolute theory becomes more attractive. Um, the problem for a lot of people that I've noticed, though, is they push back and go, this sounds crazy. It sounds weird. And, and so some of the work I've been doing on this book manuscript I'm writing is to really lay out the history of this idea and go, there's actually a much larger history here that we just have ignored. Um, and so seeing that it's a view that a lot of people have actually affirmed, that I think makes the view... Not more attractive exactly, but it kind of it kind of makes it feel less crazy to go, okay, a bunch of people did think this um, yeah. and if you really do think that there's something if you can never imagine time not existing like that this this view is going to feel a bit more attractive uh, and then you don't have to say things like there's like oh there's this tim- like this timeless state of affairs before the universe, but yeah but how do I talk about it you're like no there's just, it's just been time there's always been time mm. times is this fundamental feature of reality it couldn't be any other way if you think that's intuitive then this identification view, or this absolute, at least the absolute theory is going to be more attractive to you.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Um, anything else you want to say, Ryan, with regards to like God and time and anything that we talk about as we start to wrap up here, cause there's been a lot of great stuff and I really enjoyed this. So anything else you want to bring up here?
1: Uh, yeah, for me, when I started, when I first started on this journey of trying to understand God and time, it was just something I just needed to know. I just needed to know what God's relationship to time was. And I didn't realize how connected it is to just the overwhelming majority of systematic theology, because Mm -hmm. when you're, when you really are looking at systematic theology as a whole, it is the story of this triune being who predates, or in some sense pre-exists the existence of this temporal universe and God establishes a temporal universe and then interacts with it, providentially governs things over a course of a series of moments. And then at some point in the fullness of time becomes human. This is a deeply temporal like story. And I'm like, how do I understand this story if it really is a timeless being? And I think that makes it so needlessly complicated uh, and possibly just downright incoherent. Whereas if God really is temporal, then I think you've got a much clearer, coherent way that I think is much, much closer to the biblical text itself for telling the Christian story. Mm -hmm. Uh, So for me, it's, it's, it's kind of become this issue of, it seems like this is, this is a huge major theme that just runs through all of Christian thought, uh, Mm -hmm. Christian theology and, if God's timeless then I don't know how to tell this the Christian story anymore. Uh, so if that's temporal, then I can, I can say, Hey, here's this coherent story of, of Christianity.
0: Yeah. Even thinking about when we were talking about the incarnation, like the, the nature of time, like that's super important. And like how we think of like God and how, like how he's related to time. Like that's going to really relate to the story we can tell with regards to incarnation. So I think it, mm-hmm. it's a great point to bring up here is like, Hey, this is super relevant to Christian theology and it's really important to think about. So yeah. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, that's great. Thank you so much, Ron. I've really enjoyed this conversation. How can people like follow you, connect with you, things like that?
1: Mm-hmm. So the easiest way to find me is you to go to rtmullens.com. Uh, I've got a lot of my papers there. Um, I also have my my podcast called The Reluctant Theologian Podcast. Uh, some of the stuff I talk about is is God in time. I talk about a lot of other issues, though, where I interview different scholars around the world and uh, then sometimes take a uh, listener questions and whatnot.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Well, thank you so much, Ryan, for coming on today. I encourage everyone to check out rtmolent.com. If you're new here, I always encourage you to like, subscribe, all that fun stuff. And if you have our content, um, be sure to come to Patreon at patreon.com slash Atina Project. Your support, little as a dollar a month, it means a lot. But Ryan, thank you so much. So grateful for you and your time. And yeah, it's been super fun. And yeah, it's fun to have someone from PA or not from PA, but lives in PA on the show. Cause I'm like, I'm usually all alone here, whether I'm in Pennsylvania or Virginia. I'm like, there's no one that I'm talking to that's from these places. They're all from like Helsinki and Oxford and all these fancy places and like, it's just like, oh, Ryan, you're from Philly. Okay, that's cool. There so, we go. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah. So, yeah. No problem. Awesome. Well, thank you everyone for tuning in. Have a good one and God bless.